Running the option on first down. Hagan has it. He has Rome. He's got one man to beat. Now he pitches to Flanagan, and he may take it all the way. Flanagan's in for the touchdown. McKinley Wright from the logo. Got it. Oh, McKinley Wright. Welcome in to the DNVR Buffs podcast presented by Davidson's. Pretty crazy, right? Uh, Not drift car sharing anymore. This podcast is now presented by Davidson's Beer, Wine, and Spirits, which is a new thing that I'm probably going to screw up like 15, 20 times here in the next uh, 15 or 20 podcasts. And that's going to be all right because, you know, new things aren't necessarily bad. And that's definitely true when it comes to Davidson's. Um, so here's the deal. Davidson's is a uh, liquor store, if, if you couldn't tell by it being called Beer, Wine, and Spirits. Um, it's locally owned. It's uh, operated with uh, also localness. And there are over a thousand varieties of beer. They have wines from around the world. Uh, they have fine single malts, rare whiskeys. Here's here's what you need to know now, though. If you download their app today and you use the promo code FIRST10, F-I-R-S-T-1-0, then you get 10% off your purchase of $25 or more. They have uh, two convenient locations in Centennial and Highlands Ranch. Isn't that kind of perfect? Because we have like the Total Bev thing going. That's Westminster and Thornton up north. Now we have Davidson's and Centennial and Highlands Ranch down south. Also, I uh, hope that you are all as impressed with my knowledge of Colorado geography as I am because uh, I've only been here like six or seven months and that's pretty fast for me to uh, be learning things like this. Definitely check out Davidson's though. Uh, Cool that we have a new partner and uh, hopefully this goes well. Okay. (laughs) Um, Oh, it's been kind of a weird day. Uh... This has been a lot of us as well. Um, so so here's what happened. I went to Starbucks because it was one of their happy hour days. And that means that you get like the two for ones on the handcrafted beverages. And so instead of getting the like typical like Americano or cold brew that I usually get just because, you know, it's almost no calories. You just drink it. It's just there you go. You're, you're zippy and all that kind of stuff. Turns out happy hour, you only can get the uh, handcrafted beverages, which means that they have to have a bunch of ingredients. I picked the one with not only the caffeine, but the rest of the ingredients were uh, all sugar. And so I drank both and here we are. Uh, hopefully I can get this kind of out of my system here in the next couple minutes because my goodness, is this going to be a painful podcast if I can't. Also, uh, if you've been listening the last couple days, you heard how disgusting my voice was. This voice sounds beautiful to me. Uh, I think I'm back. I think that cold is finally gone after weeks. It turns out RK has had that same cold. 
It's it's been like five weeks for him. It was like three, four weeks for me, where it's just like this half little cold that's just annoying and makes it tough to get through an entire podcast. Okay. Uh lots of tangents there. Uh we're gonna talk about Tad Boyle. We're gonna talk about Mike Leach, which uh Broke my heart today. If you guys haven't heard the news, Mike Leach is no longer a Pac-12 coach. He's no longer leading the air raid offense at Washington State. He's headed down to Mississippi State. It's uh, it's wild. Um, one of my favorite people in the Pac-12, and I know there's some like controversy there, but I I I love weird offenses. I love weird schemes. Um. I love the triple option, as you'll remember. I also love the air raid because it's that same like, whoa, this is an interesting take on the game of football. And we don't usually get new interesting takes on the game of football. Uh, Disappointing to see him leave, but more disappointing because of his personality and just how fun he was to talk to. You know, I'm not sure if I've told the story before, um, probably because it's a terrible, terrible story. But one of my first days as a Colorado Buffaloes reporter, I was up at Pac-12 Media Day this summer, and Mike Leach was there because uh, he he was the coach at Washington State, so he had to be. And he was walking around, and he had his handlers, and he was just so much fun to look at and to watch. Uh, he, he the way he interacted with people is the exact same way that he interacts with people on camera. And that that's just so much fun to see that he when somebody turns out to be that genuine, you know, he he has the kind of personality that could almost be a, a caricature of himself, if that makes sense. You know, he kind of plays it up in front of the camera. Um, same thing with guys like you know Herm Edwards, who has that very uh, preachery vibe, where it, it just very motivational, inspirational. He just speaks in a way that you love to listen to and again he's another one who he is just the same way in person you you never really know if somebody like uh mike leach is just going to be kind of dry like he was turning it on and he really isn't the way when when reporters approach him and said hey do you have a couple minutes and he just says oh and it's kind of nonsense and he half commits and all that stuff he's like oh that's mike leach um he was just a fun personality to have in the Pac-12. Um, I know that this is weird because this isn't necessarily Colorado news. Um, actually, I actually don't know if Colorado plays Washington State next year off the top of my head. Um, I'm packing my brain with so much new information that I don't think I have that down. Uh, okay, I'm, I'm going to pull that up as well. But... Uh, because it is a Washington State story, it doesn't really feel like something that matters too much to the buffs, but I really think it does on a bunch of different levels. And uh, there are definitely ways where it's helpful for the buffs. Uh, in in most ways, honestly, uh, this is a good thing. You get rid of one of the best coaches, in my opinion, in the Pac-12. There goes one of your competitors. They're falling down a couple of notches, more likely than not. But also, I mean, he gets clicks. <laughs> uh I I bet if if you were to sit there and uh, like think about it for five minutes, you could come up with a dozen different Mike Leach tangents, like different things he said. Whether it was uh, the the time he like 
He was comparing all of the different mascots in the Pac-12 who would win in a fight. Just some incredible lines. He he said that the the buffs. They say the Buffalo would be an extremely formidable opponent. Something like that. Uh, just incredible stuff to get inside his brain and hear what's going on. Because he's a weird dude. Uh, Arizona State. You know what even is a Sun Devil? Got to get the Harry Potter nerds out here to break down what exactly his powers. Are. You know it's it's it. it that kind of personality that draws the clicks, um, that's important to the Pac-12. Uh, that's that's a guy who is getting a lot of attention. And for a conference that really doesn't get all that much attention because of what's happening on the field, the off-the-field storylines become even more important. You know, it, it's great for LSU that they have Ed Orgeron out there making headlines with the crazy things he does. You know, he he was out there... Uh, this was last season trying to do like a press conference and I guess they have their media availability like on the field but just with the backdrop up behind him and guys were like messing around back there catching balls or kicking balls or something or laughing and he just gets off the podium turns around and says hey you guys better go and it's just hilarious because he has that kind of stuff and he got those clicks and that's important for LSU but when you also have Joe Burrow winning the Heisman you don't need that kind of coach quite as much. You don't need to work for those clicks. Um, when every game is one of the most anticipated games of the week because you're turning yourselves into a national contender. Um, and then within the SEC, you already have all the football hype going. So that's that's one of the reasons why I do think it really hurts the Pac-12 Um Going forward, you know, everybody wants to have as all, all as many storylines as possible. Um, and, you know, maybe for for a one team, it, it isn't quite as meaningful. Like, like you don't want it quite as much. Think back to the Broncos with Tim Tebow and all the distractions and everybody wanted to talk about the distractions. Or like NFL teams are scared to sign Colin Kaepernick because of the distractions he'd bring. And it's just like the media attention. They don't necessarily want those. But if you're a team that's uh, about to play whatever team Colin Kaepernick signs with or uh, wherever Tim Tebow is, you sure like being like right there in that conversation for that week. It gets that hype going. And that's really important and even more important in college sports where recruiting is so dependent on brand. Um, it's dis- It's disappointing. Um, for me personally as a reporter who gets to talk to him a couple times a year, you know, media day, uh, when they play the buffs, uh, whenever that like two years out of three or whatever. Um, but also I do think that does have an impact on Colorado. It just gets less attention up North out to the West coast, uh, which is already a problem. Um, it's too bad. Uh, yeah. You know, seeing him and Lane Kiffin out there in Mississippi now, though, sure. We'll see how it goes. Uh, but also, on the other hand, uh, we're going to talk about Max Borgie here in a minute, too. So I'm excited about that. I'm excited about that. Um, but first, uh, the, the biggest impact, the impact we know is on the way. Washington State just lost, in my opinion, a, a, a second-tier coach. He's not quite on that Nick Saban level, um, not not on that Dabo Sweeney level, 
Uh, Kirby Smart is probably up there. but but he is one of the most recognizable names. He is also very good at coaching football, and wherever he's gone, he's found success. Now Washington State is going to be in a tough spot. Um, we can evaluate more uh, when we know exactly who is replacing uh, Mike Leach. But at this point in the process, here's what we can say. Um the transition is likely going to be a difficult one because you you have a very specific set of personnel. You know, you've you've been running this true pure air raid uh, offense which demands certain things from certain positions and it's a playbook that is much different than whatever playbook is likely going to be uh, coming in. Um, there are very few coaches who actually run the true air raid, so it's unlikely Washington State's going to land one of those. Also, the the quasi-air raid thing that we're seeing take off across the country just because of the success the air raid has, but it is a little bit gimmicky because they throw the ball 70 times a game. Um, you know, USC is bought into this kind of air raid, very heavily air raid-inspired offense. There's a good chance that that's the kind of guy they look for, and if they find one, then that's great, and the changes are minimal, but there's still some significant changes, and if they don't go that way, you know, somebody was throwing out Troy Calhoun as a potential coach there, which kind of shocked me. Um, Troy Calhoun, the head coach at Air Force, which, you know, makes sense, sense because he is a very good football coach and I don't want to take anything away from him there. The success he's had at air force, which is a very difficult place to recruit. Remember that they, they have to commit to going into the air force after they graduate, unless they go to the NFL. What a crazy situation to put yourself in. Um, but, uh, he also runs the triple option offense, which is very, very different from the air raid. And that transition would be so difficult um be a lot of fun i'd love to see the air raid or the the triple option offense in in the pack 12 but transition's tough i think that's a pretty crazy take although somebody was floating it out there today i can't remember who um that transition is going to be tough but uh the most interesting storyline to me for the buffs and we've taken 15 minutes to get here is max borgie so, here's what you need to know about Max Borgie. He was uh, a, a Colorado guy. Uh, he's from Arvada. And he was actually originally recruited to, uh, or, or committed to Colorado out of Pomona High School. So, what happened was they got some more running backs. I can't remember who it was. I think Deion Smith might have been the guy who signed um, right before Max Borgie decommitted, but he likely committed because of the competition there and decided to go out to Washington State where it was likely he was going to get more reps um, than he would based on everybody who was here at Colorado. So, he leaves... And as a freshman, pretty much just dominates. Uh, he was honorable mention Pac-12 Player of the Year. Um, 13 total touchdowns. 
tied the freshman record at Washington State, put up 740 yards. This year, he was on the Doak Walker Award watch list for the best uh, running back in the country. It's also preseason All-Pac-12 honorable mention. Very, very, very good running back. Cannot say that enough. Now, uh, with his coach leaving, you know, this is purely speculation, but there's a chance he decommits. And if he decommits, you'd have to think that Colorado might be up at the top of the list. Uh, It's his home. He liked what they were selling with Mike McIntyre. And if that's the case, you've got to love what they're selling with Mel Tucker, I would think. This isn't conspiracy theory territory, but it's kind of close to it. So don't get your hopes up too high. Um, You know, there's, there's a chance he could play this year if he got the waiver that'd make him a junior if for some reason he couldn't get the waiver which is probably more likely then he still does have that redshirt year available so he'd redshirt 2020 and then be a redshirt junior 2021 uh, and then 2022 would be his redshirt senior year so, so he'd have a couple of years left to play in either way he'd be so much fun on the other hand you do have Alex Fontenot who was very good and improved throughout the year uh, which I think is something that we need to be talking about more. Um, I kind of want to do that today. You know what? Let's do that today. And you also uh, have um, Jaron Mangum, who is a potential monster at running back, uh, very highly rated recruit, uh, super big, super fast. What more could you ask for? Uh, maybe a little more agility, a little bit better vision, but I think that that'll come, and he's heading into his sophomore year. Plus, Ashad Clayton is still committed to Colorado, and we're now under a month until he's going to sign his letter of intent. Each day that passes makes it more odds that he doesn't flip that commitment. And uh, I actually had somebody ask me... I don't think it was on the podcast. Uh, I think it was on Twitter, either my... DMs or somewhere, but whether uh, Ashad uh, or when Ashad would make his decision whether he would come to Colorado or not, and uh, we don't really know um, because of the way that this is all played out because he is committed to Colorado. I we can dig into this more later, but essentially, since he's committed to Colorado, he won't have like a day he's going to announce it. It could just be any day he either says, I'm decommitting, reopening the recruiting process, or he could just say, I am decommitting and committing to Kansas or Georgia or LSU. Um, And that could be tomorrow. It it could be right now if that's when he decides he wants to announce it. And uh, then he will sign on February 2nd, I believe, is the next uh, signing day. And that's what will make it official. So we're kind of just counting down the days, and with each day it gets more and more likely that he's coming to Colorado. Uh, So there's just what's going on there, uh, because I don't think I've ever explained that, um, but that's what to expect. Again, Max Borgie, he's a great running back, one of the top running backs in uh, the Pac-12. Potential to be the next great running back out of Colorado. You know, you got Austin Eckler. Weird one to lead with, I know. Um, Christian McCaffrey, uh, potential MVP. Uh, Philip Lindsay. You know, a whole bunch of these guys who very recently have made that leap from Colorado high school football 
to the NFL to being an elite NFL player. Uh, I don't think that's a stretch. Max Borgie looks like he's next up. Uh, 5'10", 197, he's fast, he's strong, he's very Christian McCaffrey-like, um, and, and and that's part of what makes him so valuable to Washington State because they do pass so often. You know, if, if he came to Colorado, he could probably line up in the slot if he wanted to, uh, and he does line up in the slot for Washington State. So, so he's just so versatile, can do so many things. I think that's another reason why the competition, you know, that scares you off when you're young because... Uh, you don't really know where you fit in. You know that you're dominant against high school football players, uh, but you don't necessarily know how you stack up against college football players. And, you know, everybody's going to bet on themselves. Everybody's going to think that they're capable of becoming the guy. But at the same time, you also want to put yourself in a situation where you're going to get the most opportunities to be the guy, the most opportunities to, to prove yourself. And um, when when there are three other guys fighting for reps, it's, uh, it's, it's less likely. Now that he has proven, now that we know what he can do, you know that he's going to factor in, whether they want to throw him in the slot, whether they want to flex him around, whether they want to go similar to Visca in the way that you could flex Visca into running back. Um, and he was actually saying recently, he was saying on his Instagram that he wanted, or he wished he could, he would have played more running back at Colorado. Um, this was a couple days ago, but he, he was posting clips of him playing running back pretty late in the season was when he got most of the reps there, Utah, Washington. And he looked like a really good running back. And he said, you know, I wish I could have played more running back at Colorado, uh, which I don't think I've brought up here, but, uh, oh, the, I remember where I was going. The thing about Visca running back is that you put him there and if they try to match up with him with a corner, all of a sudden you're so big that you can just run up the middle and you should have a size advantage that leads to the blockers being able to bully the guys in front of them, uh, Visca being able to bully whoever is left unblocked and tries to make a tackle. Um, and if they try to match a linebacker up on him to counter that, then you flex them outside, and all of a sudden in the passing game, they don't have enough speed to stick with all your receivers. He's that kind of mismatch. And and that's kind of the same thing that Max Borgie can do. Uh, you, you think of what Colorado could do with these multiple running back sets, uh, the things that you know the Saints have been doing for a few years. You, you think back to Alvin Kamara's rookie year. They were doing some very new things that you don't see, or we hadn't seen much anywhere else. Uh, they throw Alvin Kamara out on the field with Mark Ingram. You can throw the little screens after you, or like... Uh, Running back screen out one side while you fake the handoff going the other way or have an RPO. You look at the defense, pre-snap read, post-snap read, whatever, and it just gives you those options because you have those types of playmakers. Um, then it keeps developing uh, now with uh, the the Ravens and all the different players. They line up in the backfield, and I think, as I've said before, this Buffs offense could look a lot like that Ravens offense based on how they develop throughout the season and also 
just my read on the style of football that Mel Tucker wants to play and the guys that he's recruited. Um, Borgie, as a very versatile player, is a matchup nightmare, and that's what you want to exploit. That's what you need for that sort of offense. Uh, you bring him in the backfield. You flex him outside. You line him up with Jaron Mangum. You line him up with Alex Fontenot, Ashad Clayton, or with Jaylee Stacks and use Jaylee as a blocker uh, with Brady Russell in the backfield. Do something like that. He, just so many options, and he provides something different than the rest of these guys. You know, I, I think Alex Fontenot is is a solid receiving back. I definitely wouldn't say that's his strength. Um He's nothing compared to Max Borgie in that regard. There are definitely some things that Fontenot can do better, but you just want that versatility, and uh, Max Borgie would be a great get. And this is all assuming he decommits. You know what? Let's keep talking about this, because I think it's really interesting, and I think it gives us a, a new lens to evaluate this running back group, which is one of the most exciting groups on the team for next season. But before we do that, I want to tell you about the Colorado Core from Breckenridge Brewery because that's a great beer. And I haven't had a chance to tell you about that beer in a while. Remember, this is the one that I think RK called the Champagne of Beers, which I'm pretty sure is taken by Miller Lite. Um, but the point is that it is a very champagne beer. It's like if you mixed a champagne with a cider with a beer. And you combine all those things, take all the bad parts, mix the good parts together, and then take out the good parts that don't really fit in that combination because that's still kind of a weird thing. And all of a sudden you have the Colorado Core, one of my favorite beers. I think right behind the Strawberry Sky as my now my second favorite from Breckenridge Brewery. You guys have to check them out. Hopefully, you guys have been using the uh, event calendar, the Breckenridge event calendar at uh, thednvr.com to see everything that we have lined up. That watch party last night was incredible. There were over 100 people out at Sportscom. It was a great game. Uh, We were giving away free beer. We gave away free tickets. We gave away uh, shirts and hats. It was a blast. Uh, it was also Adam Mara's birthday, so we gave out cake to everybody. Um, if you guys haven't been to a watch party yet, honestly, that was the most exciting one I've been to. And they, they were still saying, just wait till the playoffs. Just wait till we have the Nuggets and Avs playoff watch parties, because those are going to get crazy. And it's just tough to envision anything more than what was going on last night. But we all had a great time, in part because everybody got a free Breckenridge beer, and I had a couple more after that as well. Um... Need to be checking them out. Need to be checking them out. They're 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 local. They're the best. Um, also, if alcohol isn't really your speed and you're into something else, then maybe you should go to the Green Solution. Green Solution has 17 Colorado locations, and it has an express checkout to get you in and out as fast as possible. So get on your phone right now, and you can go to their website mygreensolution.com to order your flour, concentrates, edibles, and topicals online and then you get to head to the closest green solution for pickup and if you use the code dnvr20 for 20 percent off your entire purchase uh, it's a great deal check them out as well okay so before we go any further with this discussion i kind of want to break down 
why Max Borgie could be leaving, what's probably on his mind, and uh, that sort of thing. So, when a coach leaves, oftentimes a lot of his players decommit as well because they want to play in his system. Uh, that's why they went there. They're, they don't like the uncertainty. And because it's more likely that you're going to get a waiver when your coach leaves, so it's a good time to transfer if it was kind of on your mind. Anyway, whole bunch of reasons. You definitely see a lot more uh, decommitments, a lot more transfers when a coach moves on uh, to whatever he's moving on to. Max Borgie is a really interesting study um, in this situation because he really fit in that air raid offense. Um, he's he's kind of an ideal air raid running back, like I was saying before, because he's a good receiver, because you can flex him in and out. Um, you can have him run the ball and take advantage when they line up, whatever, whatever or flex him outside where he's a very good receiver as well. That's what you want in an air raid running back. A good receiving back because you throw the ball a lot, especially if he's not just like good catching a swing pass and making a guy miss in the open field, but if you can have him run real routes, which Max Borgie can do. So, yes, he did fit that offense very well. But also, it's not an offense that you typically think of as where running back wants to go. Part of the reason why he chose Washington State, not quite as much competition for reps there because a lot of the top guys want to go somewhere where they get to run the ball more, which makes a lot of sense for a running back. So that means that with Mike Leach out, you're likely going to see more running in Washington State's future, which should be enticing to a guy like Max Borgie who has that number one job at Washington State all the way locked up. It's, it'd be virtually impossible to unseat him at this point in his career. That makes it a lot easier to see him staying. But at the same time, you have to remember that he would also see a lot more reps in Colorado than he likely would in whatever is coming up next for Washington State. Um, again, Washington State has some some air raid personnel and so to go to a true pro style offense you know that that just doesn't fit with what they have so while they're going to be running the ball more they still aren't going to be running the ball as much as Colorado will um, is there more competition at Colorado definitely but there's also more reps to go around and Max is still the best option likely unless Ashad Clayton steps in and is just a monster right off the bat, which is totally on the table, but still unlikely. That means that it's very much possible that Max Borgie decides to decommit. Um, it's, it's a lot of fun to think about. All right, well, as fun as it is to daydream about Max Borgie coming to Colorado, it's probably just not going to happen you know there, there's still a lot of time between now and uh the start of next season you, they still have to go through the full coaching search and there's a chance they bring in a guy he doesn't like and he wants to change things up and come back home he knows that he could probably get the waiver because he's coming back home but the odds of washington state not bringing in a guy who's going to feature Max Borgie is pretty 
pretty slim. Um, you know, even Max today, uh, uh, Mike, Le- or, yeah, Mike Leach tweeted something like I think it was like a cowbell gif being excited to go to uh, Mississippi State, and Max quote tweeted it and said, "Glad that I'm going to get to run the ball more" or something like that. So. I don't know. He has a bit of an attitude. I personally really enjoy his personality. Um, The point is, he seems excited. I think a lot of guys are um, excited for him or should be excited because this should really benefit him. At the same time, you never know how everything's going to play out. Um, He's a fan favorite at Washington State, but he would be more than a fan favorite back here, obviously. We'll see how things go. Um, that said, as long as you can hold on to that Ashad Clayton commitment, you're feeling really good about where these running backs are in 2020. You know, Alex Fontenot, like I mentioned earlier, what makes me so excited about him isn't just seeing how well he played this season. It's that he kept growing throughout the season, and that's not something that we really talked about here. Um, I think I mentioned before, maybe that um, you know, if you forget about the Colorado State game because that's a different caliber of team than who the Buffs played the rest of the season, uh, and start with Week Two against Nebraska, and just look at the rushing yards throughout the season. They went, I think, nine straight games with more rushing yards than they did the week before, and a lot of that has to do with Alex Fontenot. Uh, He had some of his best games late in the season. And I think that maybe the Colorado State game where he broke out and was breaking all those tackles, and again, it's against Colorado State, not against USC or Washington or Stanford. I think that that might have given him the confidence. It might have shown the coaching staff what he's capable of. But it took most of the season for him to continue to transition those skills, the skills that he showed off, uh, in that game to to into things that he was able to do consistently game in and game out, brushing out those tacklers, finding the right hole. Um, and it's going to be exciting to see him improve. Uh, Jaron Mangum, I think there are a lot of people out there who still think that he's going to be the number one back in 2020. I don't. I still think he's going to be a, a, a more of a specialist just because he is so big and he's fast and he just needs to add a little more wiggle to be a dynamic running back. For right now, though, I think that he's more of a power type guy. Um, Ashad Clayton, though, he's he's got the potential to be much better than either of them. He has the potential to be an NFL guy. I think that uh, if you were to handicap it right now, You'd say there's better odds than not that he winds up being an NFL guy. Uh, Max Borgie, he's almost a lock. There's a there's like a 90% chance that he's going to go to the NFL. Uh, knock on wood, but something pretty terrible would have to happen. Uh, he'd have to have some awful collapse, which just doesn't seem likely for him given the way that he has developed. Um... I think that that's probably going to do it for that. Uh, I also want to say, before I throw it over to Ryan to talk about the Blake Street Tavern, there's a really cool thing that's going on at the Blake Street Tavern on February 5th, the National Signing Day. 
Uh, so Mel Tucker and a bunch of his coaching staff is going to be at the Blake Street Tavern 6 to 8 on signing day to talk about what went down, to meet people. Uh, there's free appetizers. If you RSVP to Blake Street Tavern, you get a free drink ticket. It's going to be a really cool thing. Uh, I'm excited to see what happens. Um, it's basically my two favorite things. Football, talking to football guys, and also the Blake Street Tavern. Um, here's Ryan with uh, his thoughts. What's up, guys? Ryan Konigsberg here, and I got to tell you about the Blake Street Tavern. It's my favorite sports bar in town, as evidenced by the fact that we had our fantasy draft there. It's where I watched Super Bowl 48. It's where I watched CU win a Pac-12 basketball championship back in the day. Uh, it's the place to be for any sporting event. It's the biggest bar in town. I always joke you could land a 747 in there. It was named the National Sports Bar of the Year in 2017 by Nightclub and Bar Magazine. It wins Best Sports Bar in Denver seemingly every year from Westward, anyone else that's voting. It's the place to be. Uh, they've got great specials, and the food is out of this world. I recommend the nachos, the green chili fries, uh, the buffalo chicken wrap. You name it, they've got it, and the location is perfect. Just two blocks north of Coors Field, and they have parking. So go check out the Blake Street Tavern. Okay. Into some basketball talk now. Uh, I think we have one comment today. Comes in from Silver Buff. I haven't heard from Silver Buff in a while. He says, it's not just a circumstance. It's a systemic issue. Tadball frequently has turnover and late game management issues. Just look at UNI. You need likely 14 wins to take the conference. That means only three losses remain. You can't blow a 10-point lead at home. Tad finally gets to start the season at home like he always complained he didn't. Now he has to take care of business. Yep, and and then that's pretty much what that Oregon State loss means. That you you pretty much just have like a a few losses you get to play with throughout the course of the season, and he used one in a situation where he probably shouldn't have. Um, and not to put it all on him, um, I do want to go over some of his thoughts. Um, working on a story tonight on all this. Uh, also have a story up on uh, uh, Keyshawn Bartholomew. Uh, some interesting stuff in there, I thought, including that Tad says Keyshawn's ready to compete in the Pac-12 offensively. Just need to get him up to speed defensively. And he has all the tools. He's not really like concerned about it, but that's just where he's at. Uh, little quick update there. But Tad has had a bunch of other interesting things to say um, about the losses in particular. You know, things aren't super fun over at the event center right now they're disappointed uh they they had the win over oregon couldn't follow it up with a win over oregon state i think everybody's pretty frustrated including tad uh for a, a bunch of different reasons um he he keeps coming back to you know the focus the execution um that kind of thing uh, you know he he said against uh northern iowa the game plan was don't let them take threes and they ended up making uh, 14 threes, 15 if you count um, the foul on the three-pointer where the shooter made all three free throws. So essentially 15. That's 45 points, and that can't happen. You know, Tad then brought up Illinois State beat Northern Iowa, and in that game, Northern Iowa only made seven threes. And he said, you know, if we had held Northern Iowa to seven threes, that's not a close game. It's a, it's a blowout in the Buffs' favor. Um, Oregon State, 
Here's the quote. Oregon State, different animal, same issue, though. Oregon State, the game plan was to keep the ball out of the paint. They have to score at the rim to be effective, and they had 42 points in the paint. Uh, Northern Iowa can beat you from the three-point line. They can't beat you in the paint. Oregon State can beat you in the paint, so it's a different game plan. We didn't execute, and we didn't play with the level of focus and intensity that we did against Dayton, and we did against Oregon. So, I mean, that's that's all the stuff that we kind of knew. We knew that uh, he blamed it on the defense, um, and, and not not like the defense and and not him, but himself as part of that effort to play good defense. He actually had a great quote about that too, about his disappointment himself. Um, Oh, here it is. We have a mature veteran team, and it's incumbent on them to understand the things that we're talking about. And I think that they do, but understanding it and fixing the problem are two different things. Fouling a three-point jump shooter, we've done it eight times this year. It should never happen once. It's a cardinal sin. It's like saving the ball underneath your opponent's basket. I saved it out of bounds. Yeah, you saved it out of bounds, but they laid it in for two points. That's something you should learn in third grade. Not fouling a jump shooter is something you should learn in third grade. I've coached McKinley and Deshaun now for two and a half years. That's my fault they haven't learned, so I've got to take ownership of that. Those are are the little things that really drive you nuts as a coach. You lay in bed at night thinking, why do our guys do that? A lot of it really, uh, he did put on himself. And again, I think I mentioned this yesterday, but he, he's also said that like he made mistakes. He should have called that timeout sooner. Um, and that's been a, a problem that he's had for a while, pretty much 10 years, I guess, since, since he took over. Um, it's a well-known flaw. It was something that, pointed, that was pointed out to me that first night. We were at Blake Street Tavern watching Arizona State, and I said, wow, it's weird that he didn't call a timeout during that run. And I think Silverbuff was actually there and was the one who said, yeah, no, that's what he does. And that's been true all the way through... I just don't know why, honestly, but that's that's kind of his philosophy. I, I can't say whether it's panned out for him more often than it hasn't because I haven't been around for 10 years, and that's kind of the sample size you need. Um, I'll say that it, it didn't work for him against, um, against Oregon State, and he'll say the same thing, but again, hindsight's twenty twenty. Uh, Here's another interesting thing. Um... He also said he just throws out the KU game. He doesn't include it in the way that he evaluates how the team plays in losses, the problems that they've had in the losses. And he says he does that because they... Here's the quote. Uh, The KU game I throw out of the equation because we couldn't make a shot that day. We could have guarded as well as we've guarded all year and not won. We just got beat that day. Which is interesting. Um, It kind of frames the discussion for the rest of this kind of stuff. But... It's a tough spot, um, and I think that there is there's definitely some frustration um, because of the losses and the way that the season has played out because they know what they're capable of, and you just you just can't have the problems they had in, in either of those two games. Um, yeah, I think it's 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 frustrating for sure. It's going to be nice to go out and play Utah again, a, a team they should beat. Um, they have the the one star, the guy who really carries the team. 
can't remember his name. We'll talk about all of this tomorrow when I preview that matchup. Uh, preview the game Friday between Colorado and USC women's basketball here uh, in Boulder. Hopefully, I'll see some of you guys there. Um, and then on Sunday, I really should be seeing all of you all day because at noon the women's team plays UCLA, which is ranked eighth in the country, and then at four the men's team plays Utah. So it's like the doubleheader. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, Again, hopefully I see you all out there. (sighs) I don't really have much more I want to say about this basketball team. I think we're all kind of on the same page. You just have to focus in. And that's tough to do, um, I guess. But that's, that's definitely the problem that we've been seeing from them you know what? Let's just call it there. Um, I'll be back tomorrow previewing the Utah game, uh, talking a little bit about the women's team, what they can prove this weekend against USC and then against UCLA, both games at home. And hopefully you guys will have some comments and some questions tomorrow for that podcast. Um, all right. See you then. I think they like my Colorado See you later, baby. baby. Colorado Army with soldiers like the Navy. Yeah. And voters where we station, patiently awaiting. Boy. When I hit the field, it's so hard to behave. Yeah. I'm Colorado swagging at the crowd, do the wave. Look into my eyes, I can tell that you afraid. Uh-huh. Cause you know we finna hit you. Hit you. Hit you. Hit you. Hey, hey. Hey. you on your own now. Why you watching the official? Yeah. You just better hope you make it to the next whistle. Yeah. And we ain't playing with you, you can get it. Colorado 